And these are five guidelines that help build back trust between you and your body. It helps your body know that it is going to be fed consistently and a variety of micro and macronutrients. But the guidelines are, they're broad. They're not really specific and granular and they're guidelines. So we're not gonna do them perfectly every day because we're not trying to create another framework where you can get stuck in it. Just drink another coffee, work later, like push harder. But where has that gotten us? You really got to ask yourself, is that working for me? Is that motivating me? Does that have me feeling my absolute best? And I can guarantee it doesn't. It doesn't work. So those are three kind of starting points. But what I was actually doing was beginning to disconnect from my body's hunger and fullness signals. I was disconnecting from my own needs in order to shape my body into something different. And that that journey to become a little bit healthier, a little bit skinnier ultimately is actually what I wanted, very quickly spiraled into a full-blown eating disorder. And so within six months, I had been diagnosed as anorexic. My name's Mimi Bouchard, founder of Superhuman, the transformational app that helps you become your future self so that you can finally start attracting more joy, abundance, health, wealth, and love into your life. And that's also my mission on this podcast. Meet people whose lives have been transformed in big and small ways, but always for the better. They tell me how they did it so that you can too. From being hospitalized from an eating disorder to becoming her most radiant, healthiest self. Today, founder of Raw Beauty Talks, Erin, shares her inspiring story, along with actionable tips for you on your journey to self-acceptance. All right, I am here with Erin Trelore. I am so happy to have you, Erin. Erin is the founder of Raw Beauty Talks, and I cannot wait to have a whole conversation with you, Erin, on body acceptance, managing anxiety, intuitive eating, stepping away from disordered eating, and truly becoming the most vibrant version of yourself. And you talk about this all the time. So I think we're going to have a good convo here. How are you doing today? I'm amazing. I'm so excited to be here. And I feel like this is the perfect follow-up from our podcast episode. Mimi got to come on Raw Beauty Talks and she shared really vulnerably about your own experience with an eating disorder, which unfortunately is just so common these days. So I'm really excited to be uh, back and having another conversation with you. I know. I can't wait. That was such a great convo. Anyone that's listening that wants to tune in, check out that episode on Aaron's show. But before we dive in, so I, you're well known as the founder of Raw Beauty Talks. And um, you know, I'd love for you to set the stage for everyone that maybe does not know you. Tell me the high-level overview story of yours, how you got into this wellness world and maybe some of the struggles that you had to face to get here. So I today am a health and wellness coach that and a meditation teacher that works with women who are struggling in their relationship with food and their body. They might not have a full-blown eating disorder, but they have disordered eating patterns. Maybe they're restricting or they're finding themselves in a cycle of overeating, binge eating, thinking about food a lot, feeling insecure about their body. And basically all of this is just taking up way more real estate in their mind than they would hope. And 
I can't actually believe this is my job. Like I (laughs) pinch myself daily that I get to do this work. When I was little and growing up, I never knew that this was a possibility or that this type of, of work where I can work from home with my two kids, I have a podcast, I get to work with incredible women all around the world. I never even knew that it was a possibility. I, wa- I knew I wanted to be a teacher or I loved like acting and being on stage. And so I grew up in Vancouver, BC, and I had a very quote unquote normal upbringing. I, in high school, was doing a lot of dance and I was sort of obsessed with, I want to say celebrity culture, but I remember getting these magazines at my door, 17 and YM, and just like pouring over the pages and thinking that these women, they were everything. Like they just had everything. They were popular. They were beautiful. They had amazing wardrobes. They were like traveling. I mean, who knows if any of this is actually real, but my younger brain wasn't able to comprehend everything that goes behind a media campaign. And so somewhere along the lines, I connected the dots of if you have this type of body and you look this way, life is figured out for you. I was a perfectionist and, you know, I had straight A's and I was a good daughter and a good friend and I worked really hard at dance and all my activities that I was doing. Somewhere along the line, I remember being in dance class and standing next to this girl who had just been signed on by a modeling agency. And I noticed that my hips were a little bit bigger than hers. I went through puberty late. I was like a long, lean beanpole, which I still am. But somewhere in between grade nine and 10, it was like D-sized boobs popped up and I had uh, more of a butt. And I stood beside her in dance class and I thought if I could just be a little bit smaller there, then maybe I could have that lifestyle too. And so I started to look at the magazines, 30 days to get abs and five foods to cut out. And I thought I was just being healthy by following all of these guidelines. But what I was actually doing was beginning to disconnect from my body's hunger and fullness signals. I was disconnecting from my own needs in order to shape my body into something different. And that journey to become a little bit healthier, a little bit skinnier ultimately is actually what I wanted, very quickly spiraled into a full-blown eating disorder. And so within six months, I had been diagnosed as anorexic. I was no longer eating any fats, any carbs. I had a a caloric number at the time that I'd read that models like Giselle were eating and the Victoria's Secret models. And I put that number in my journal every single day. I tracked every single thing that I ate and the number of calories that I was eating. I would try and eat as little as possible during the day so that I could enjoy or indulge in something at night, but then evening would come and I wouldn't really actually let myself have that thing. And so very quickly, I fell down to an incredibly dangerous weight that I won't say on this podcast because it can be super triggering for people who are actively in an eating disorder or those who have recovered as well. But I ended up being hospitalized and I was in an inpatient program for three months in between grade 11 and 12. And uh, it was one of the hardest things that I've ever been through, one of the scariest things that I've ever been through. But ultimately, it was my first wellness self-care retreat (laughs) that I ever went on. (laughs) Didn't feel like that at the time. But looking back, I was like, oh, it was the first time I 
pressed pause on life and really started to self-reflect and learn this idea of examining my thoughts and start to understand the different parts that we all have, this piecework that people do in shadow work. And none of it was labeled these things, but it ultimately was the beginning of my self-development journey. And so I left the hospital program. I had, you know, when you're in there, you get a, a menu plan. You don't have a lot of control over what it is that you're eating, which silences that eating disorder voice, but it doesn't necessarily teach you actually how to eat out in the real world. So I came out of the hospital and I was still stuck in this cycle of kind of restricting ultimately or eating really clean during the day. But now what was happening is that I would binge at night. My body was in full rebellion of any restricting. And so it would almost feel like I had completely disconnected from my body or like I'd blacked out and I would eat everything that I could find. And I would cry and cry and cry on the kitchen floor or in my car, wherever I was feeling so disgusting, feeling uh, so ashamed of myself and really feeling like I I'm a failure. Like I'm the only one who's not disciplined enough. Why can't I just stick to the plan that I'm creating? I didn't realize that binging is a symptom or a reaction to restricting that is very, very, very common. I believe the statistic is like 70% of women at some point will find themselves in a cycle of what is binge eating, but we often just label it as overeating kind of constantly or emotional eating. So it wasn't until I started working with a life coach myself. At this point, I'd done tons of therapy and I'd worked with dietitians and I hadn't really found that connection yet with a healer. But this life coach, she really changed everything for me. She uh, helped me get into my body and we did a lot of somatic work. So really learning how to sit with all the feelings that were trapped in there and all the feelings that had been held so long and all the feelings that I was trying to shove down with food. And uh, we did a lot of mindset work. And then I got really clear on what I wanted for my life. I started to vision a future. I started to imagine something bigger than today. And that for me was really powerful. I still have the vision board that I created with her uh, 12 years ago. It's sitting beside me. Every single thing on that vision board has come to fruition. Like it blows my mind to this day. And that portion of healing was when I was able to make enough space and enough real estate in my mind to dream up the idea of Raw Beauty Co. Because for anybody who has struggled with an eating disorder, it's very all-consuming. It takes a lot of our precious energy, uh, mental capacity, uh, brain space, and it sucks it down a vacuum. And so this was the first time where those voices, those thoughts dissipated enough that I could dream something that has ultimately become my life's purpose and has ultimately supported me in more ways than I could have ever imagined when I first launched that initial blog. What a story, Erin. I'm honestly just in awe at how much you've been able to create over the past decade and especially healing from this severe eating disorder that you got hospitalized for. That's incredibly severe. So for someone that's listening that has 
disordered eating right now. And whether that's on a large or a small scale, I think a lot of us have it on a small scale for sure. What's realistic when it comes to healing? Because obviously we hear that your story, you healed from it, and then you created this amazing company and all that jazz. But how was that actual messy middle? How did that come about, right? Was it immediate after you got hospitalized, you had a wake up call? Or was it gradual over time? Did you relapse at all? Talk me through that messy middle bit. Oh, yeah, the messy middle. That was a long period of time. That was a long, messy middle. When I went into the hospital, it was like this eating disorder voice had full control over me. So people are like, what's an eating disorder voice? And it would sound like counting calories. It would sound like, don't eat that right now. You should wait until later. You've got Christine's birthday party tomorrow and you're going to want to have cake there and people are going to be watching you. So let's hold off today. And then the birthday would come and it would be like, don't eat that cake. Don't eat that cake. And all of these thoughts were so tightly wound with a lot of anxiety as well in the body. So feeling physically sick, having no idea when I was hungry or when I was full. I went into the hospital ultimately because my dad finally broke down and was like, I need you to do this for me. And I was like, fine, I'll go in, but one week only. And and then I'm out of there. And so I went in and during that first week, that voice was silenced basically. It was like being in some sort of structure where I had no ability to rebel or push against it. That voice just got so quiet. And what's interesting is try hard perfectionist Aaron voice came in and the program is based on these levels that you hit. So at first you have no ability to order or pick your own food. Everything is chosen for you. And I wanted to excel in this program. I mean, to this day, I'm like, I was the only one who ever got to skip a level in the ED program where I got to jump to picking my food faster. For whatever reason, that system really worked for me. And so after the first week, I was like, I don't want to, I'm not ready to leave. I'm feeling like already so much more peace and that voice is so much quieter. Don't get me wrong. I cried and cried and it's very physically uncomfortable to heal from uh, that severe of an eating disorder. So there's a ton of bloating and you are, I mean, you've got like reflux and you're having a hard time sleeping, but the voice becoming more quiet was just enough to keep me going. Now, when I came out, I would say I still had an eating disorder, but because I was binging, my weight was actually slowly going up. And so here's the thing. A lot of eating disorders are invisible. People will be struggling with disordered eating, but their weight hasn't changed. People can be anorexic and their weight doesn't change. And they don't receive the same kind of care that I did when my body looked a certain way. So this is the other thing that's so important to remember is that we cannot see an eating disorder always. We cannot tell what somebody is going through just by looking at them. And this is one of the reasons I say it's so important, as difficult as it is to never comment on somebody's weight, whether you think that they've gained weight or lost weight. I know it can feel hard if somebody's lost weight not to acknowledge that, but it's way better to say, you know, your energy seems so amazing or you seem so happy these days or, you know, comment on anything other than their weight. And we can talk more about why that is later. But so I still had an eating disorder and was very much in the messy middle. Now, at this point, I was working at a restaurant in Vancouver. I was going out to clubs at night. 
I don't think anybody would have known that I had this secret habit. I was living with a roommate at the time who was a guy, and I remember like eating all of his food and then being like, like I got to find a grocery store so I can replace this stuff and like empty half of his box of cereal so it looks like it did before I ate the rest of the box. It was just so exhausting. And I lived in that cycle and in that space for, I would say, six years six years. And during that time, I would have moments where I was taking laxatives. I was never able to purge food, which I'm just so thankful for now. At the time, it felt very frustrating because I wanted anything that I could possibly do to get that out of my body. And so I remember drinking something that I didn't really know what it was, but I was just hoping that it would facilitate that purging. I mean, these eating disorders are insidious and they are so destructive. At the end of the day, there was a lot of pain underneath and a lot of anxiety that I did not know how to control or manage. Mental health wasn't being talked about nearly as much as it is right now. And so with therapy and the somatic work that I did with my life coach, I was not healed when I started Raw Beauty Talks. So Raw Beauty Talks began as an interview series where we photographed women without makeup, photo editing, or filters. This was in 2014. My inspiration at the time was Dove, who were like the only people doing something kind of of the sorts. And that campaign went viral, which is how the name at Raw Beauty Talks initially got legs. We photographed and I interviewed and talked to over 200 women about their relationship with their body and confidence and self-love and the eating disorders that they had faced and their fears of aging. And that process was so cathartic and was so healing. At some point, the eating disorder just didn't have a lot of space in my life anymore. And I became stronger and stronger on the path. Uh, after having all those conversations, I was like, I reached a point where I was a bit burnt out. And in one of those other messy middles where you're like, what next? I'm done with these conversations. This is so depressing. I don't have any tools to help these people. And so many brilliant, beautiful, talented women are just holding themselves back, second guessing whether they have it within them to live the life that they dream of, questioning whether uh, you know they are, are worthy of love and belonging and all of these powerful, beautiful things. So I thought about doing going back to school and being a therapist. I mean, that would have been the more traditional route, but something about health coaching really stood out to me. And I think it's because my whole journey began trying to get healthy, but the messaging about what we need to do in order to be healthy is so wrapped up in diet culture that it led me completely astray. And it is leading so many women astray. And so now as a health coach, I get to help women learn to really connect with their body, be on the same team as their body, eat intuitively, live more mindfully. And the reason that I love to do this, it's not, I'm not obsessed with working with eating disorders and disordered eating. It's because I love working with women and seeing them create the life that they dream of, really bringing their vision board to life. I want to work with you after 
as well, we've healed this disorder eating pattern and we've created enough space in your mind body system that you can start fully stepping into your own personal power and creating your life on your means, free from diet culture, free from lacking self-worth and low self-esteem. That's all BS that's being taught to us. That is not our innate capacity or nature. And so I just feel like I get a front row seat to watching women fucking like, I don't, in their most powerful place ever. It's the best job. Yeah. Just like up-leveling. You're helping people up-level and having gone through it yourself, you know, that's so satisfying and so incredible. Good for you. I'm sure you've really helped so many women and we need it. Why do so many women have insane body image issues, disordered eating? It is so ingrained into our society. It's weird if you don't have these issues. Why is that? Well, that's the thing. And people then, because it's weird that you don't have these issues, people think that so many disordered eating things are just normal. They think that they're, it's just normal. Okay. So what are some of uh, some examples of disordered eating habits or things that are actually not normal that yes. we've normalized? So this is where things get a little bit cloudy and gray because the science can show us things like intermittent fasting, that it's really good for our bodies. And I I'm sure it is really good for some people and for their bodies. The trouble is, is that for a lot of women in particular, we have struggled with disordered eating and eating disorders. And so something like intermittent fasting really becomes about restricting and creating rules and rigidity around food that makes us feel safe. But at the same time, that sense of safety that we're creating also puts us in a bit of a cage. And it disconnects us from our body's innate wisdom, from things like our hunger and fullness levels. So I believe, and one of the paradigms of my coaching is that our body is always speaking to us. Our body's designed to help us survive. It wants us to live in the healthiest way possible. It wants to constantly be healing. And so it's speaking to us through a number of different signals. The common ones that we know well are fatigue or feeling tired. So when your body is feeling tired or fatigued, it could mean that you need more rest and you need a deeper sleep. Sometimes it means you've been sitting at your desk for too long and your body's actually needing to move. So the more you learn to listen to your body, the more you can discern between the different signals that it's giving you. So there's fatigue, there's thirst. When you're thirsty, your body's saying, I need hydration. I need some water. Can you go get some water for me? When you have to pee, we all know what that sensation is. It starts off as a whisper and you're like, I got to go to the bathroom. And if you leave it and you don't acknowledge or listen to the body, the body gets louder and louder and louder. And all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, I'm going to pee my pants. We got to pull the car over immediately. And we listen to the body because it's yelling. We also have hunger and fullness signals. And these are beautiful signals that tell us Aaron, it's time to start thinking about food. We need to find your next snack or your next meal. And we have fullness signals which say, okay, you've had enough to eat and you're good to go at this point. You can move on and start focusing on your kids or work or being present in the day or going for a walk or whatever it is that you want to expend your energy on. Now, 
what we've learned so often in our society is that these hunger and fullness levels are wrong. A lot of girls are going through puberty and feeling like my body is wrong. Therefore, I need to eat less. They've heard this at home or they've heard these messages somewhere else. So when I'm hungry, I ignore that. You know, I should only start eating at noon and I've got to stop eating at eight or I'm not eating that type of thing, or I'm only eating this number of macros or calories, or tracking it on my fitness pal, whatever it is. We start to outsource our uh, body's innate wisdom to rules and rigidity that have been set up by other people in other bodies in order to change the shape of our body. Now, over time, the body has been talking to us and saying, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, or I'm full, I'm full, I'm full, I'm full, and we've been ignoring it, right? When we think about overeating or binge eating, the body's giving us signals that it's full. If we don't listen to that for a long period of time, the body stops talking to us. So now we don't know when we're hungry or when we're full. And I bet there are a lot of people listening right now who are like, oh, I can tell that when I'm really, really hungry, when I'm like hangry and at that like rage hunger, and I can tell when I'm really, really full, but I have no idea to tell anything in between. And that's most likely because you've been living with some sort of disordered eating pattern for a really long time. Now, we would never make up some silly rules around when we are allowed to pee and when we are not allowed to pee. Like we don't intermittent pee. We're not like, oh, I'm only going to pee between 12 and 8 p.m. And if I pee outside of that time, there is something wrong with me. I am not worthy. I'm a big problem. We would never think that. And if we held on to the sensation of having to pee for a really long time. And then we went to the bathroom and we had like a nice long pee. We wouldn't be like, oh my God, why did I pee so long? What's wrong with me? But what we do when it comes to eating is if we wait for long periods of time or we hold back from addressing that feeling of hunger, then when we do go and eat a lot or we overeat, we're like, what's wrong with me? Why don't I have more control? We point the finger at ourselves and blame ourselves and shame ourselves when really this is just such a normal, innate process that has been completely hijacked all so that we can fit into the beauty standard uh, ideal. And it has taken us so far away from our body that it's impossible in that space to be truly well and healthy. Yes, it's impossible to enjoy life when you're so consumed with this notion of needing to look different to feel satisfied. It's that mentality of I'll be happy when, and everyone has that mentality with something in their life, whether it's I'll be happy when I'm a millionaire, or I'll be happy when I move out, I'll be happy when I'm this skinny and I look this way. It's this constant waiting to live. So what it seems is that, you know, you started living and your life just completely transformed. And I know I spoke about this on your podcast. I won't get into depth about it, but I struggled with disordered eating as well in my youth. And it was really this constant obsession, this constant 
like thought pattern in my mind. I couldn't think of anything else. I used to get so annoyed if I met someone that said, you know, oh, like I don't really think about food. If I'm hungry, I just eat whatever. It's like I was obsessed with food 24 seven. And just like you, it wasn't this immediate transformation. It happened. It slowly faded away after years and years. And then you realize one day, wow, I haven't had those thoughts in years. And I, you know, I'm feeling amazing. So such an inspiring story, Erin. And I know a lot of people listening are really, really holding on to the words that you're saying. It's so prevalent in today's world and everyone deals with it. So on that note, do you ever still have bad body image days and where you are now? How do you combat those if you do? So this is an interesting question. I truly at this point have not had that ED voice for over a decade, I would say, for just about a decade. I have had body image. So here's the thing. I don't actually have body image thoughts. I I love my body. I feel great in my body. But what's tricky about this is that my body actually is pretty close to the beauty ideals standards. It's not that far off. And so I feel like that helps me a little bit, if I'm being completely honest, in feeling okay in my body. Now, at this point, I have two young kids and I maybe work out two or three times a week. And then I walk as well. I try and get out for like a 20 or 30 minute walk, maybe four days a week. So it's not like I'm obsessing about the way that my body looks. It's just the way that I was born. I'm five foot 11. I'm tall and I'm lean. So I have to acknowledge that and the privilege that comes with living and existing in my body. So for me, I also want to note that I had the same body in high school and had a lot of negative body image thoughts. I could only see my cellulite. I still have cellulite. It just doesn't bother me as much. I don't focus on it as much. I don't have a popping booty right now at all. And I just, I don't know. It's like, I don't hook onto that. I just carry on. I have way more things that I'm focused on and that matter to me more. So I don't have the body image thoughts. What I do notice though are more fear-based thoughts, more ego-fed thoughts around my face. I'm 38, so some fine lines start showing up, or I notice pigmentation. I noticed my lips feeling thinner. And what's interesting is I have a nonprofit called Free to Be that teaches media literacy and positive body image to youth in grades six to eight. And so I've been having more and more conversations with kids. And what I'm actually hearing are more image-related fears about their faces than their bodies. And my hypothesis around this is that we're seeing so many faces on social media and we're seeing so many faces that have been filtered or that have lip injections or that have Botox. And I've done Botox and it's not about being against any of that, but it does change the way that we see our own face. We can also see our own faces with filters and see this per, more perfected version of ourselves. And we, have, we are lying to ourselves if we believe that's not impacting our self-image. So what I do notice are more fears coming up about that. And what I do notice is that there are a lot of solutions 
that are very easily accessible to us, that cost a lot of money, that are available to fix those things that are being presented as problems. So my pigmentation, I did this thing called a halo laser in the spring, and I'm lying on the treatment bed. It's like someone slapping elastics against your face when you're doing this. And this small like voice within me is like, what? are you doing? I'm sweating, like profusely sweating. You finish this thing and then it feels like you've stuck your face in an oven. And I go home and my husband's like, what did you do? And I was like, I I don't know. Like my skin's going to look great, but what the hell? Like what the hell am I doing? I spent a thousand dollars basically burning my face off so that I don't have as many freckles and, and marks on my skin. And so I'm very aware of this space that we're in as women, where on one hand, it's like, it's nice to to take care of yourself, but then there's also this fine line of like, what is ego? What is being fed to us? Where are we being told we're not enough in order for somebody to make money off of it? You know, where's the line of, yeah, sometimes these skin treatments can actually prevent cancer from forming later on. So there's some benefits to them. That part all still feels a bit confusing to me, and I'm still trying to sift through it. All right. As you guys know, I love my rituals and my routines, and I love putting good habits in place. An effective routine reduces stress, helps you stay motivated, it leads to better sleep, and for me, a lot less anxiety. You guys know I do certain things in the morning and the evening, and I also stay quite consistent with these supplements that I take. Organifi is one of those companies that I have used for literally years now, and I've been talking about them for years now, and so many of you have gotten hooked on their products too. Organifi is my favorite way to keep my healthy routine in check. I use so many of their products throughout the day. I start my day with their green juice. Most mornings I have smoothies, and when I do, I use the Organifi vanilla protein powder. It is plant-based, low sugar, so delicious. And then in the afternoons, I've been having the glow drink, which is amazing for skin health, or I'll have the red juice, which is also just so delicious and full of antioxidants. And then at night when I have a sweet tooth, I'll often head for the cupboard where my Organifi chocolate gold drink is. This is like a healthy hot chocolate. I am obsessed with these products because they taste amazing and they are packed with superfoods that genuinely make you feel incredible. The thing about Organifi is that their quality of ingredients is so high, but then the taste is so good. So that doesn't happen often with supplement brands. Definitely go check them out. Head to Organifi.com forward slash Mimi for 20% off your entire order, including sale items. They also offer a money back guarantee. You guys got to get on this healthy routine of Organifi. It is honestly one of my favorite habits, and I look forward to using their products every day. Again, head to Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com forward slash Mimi, and use the code Mimi to get 20% off your entire order. Now let's get back to the episode. I'm glad we're talking about this because I am aligned with you. I don't really know what the answer is. There, There definitely is a balance. I think there 
is a level of respect that you must have with yourself to want to eat healthy and treat yourself with love and, you know, potentially be a bit more consumed with certain things that make you look different. And and I'm on the same boat as you because I get Botox. I have had little things done. And the reason I know that this is not a problem for me is my relationship with those things. I'd be happy to not have those things and I'd be happy to have those things. And I live in the Bahamas half the year. So when I'm in the Bahamas, I don't get anything done, you know, and um, when I'm traveling or when I'm, yeah, when I'm in London, I do because it's one of those thoughts that comes to my mind. Oh, you know what? I am noticing that I I feel like I look really tired these days. I'm going to go, you know, get a top up or something. And for some reason, I don't, I'm not concerned about this with myself because I'm not doing it for anyone else. I guess I'm, I, I could say I'm doing it for myself, but it's like, I, I'd be happy no, no. either way. But then I think to myself, but why am I doing it if, I, if I'd be happy either way? Because it's, but then I think even if we want to talk a little bit more spiritual here, it's like, I really believe that we're just souls and bodies. And it's like, oh, I have one life on this earth and I am in this body and I don't really care what I do to this body. I just want to, you know, dye my hair, cut my hair, do this, do that. And I know Botox is not equivalent to cutting my hair, but um, it's all on I, a I just spectrum though. Yeah, Yeah, it's all on a spectrum and you can go really deep on this conversation and be like, it's the patriarchy and people are just trying to make money off of it. And for me, it doesn't, I don't feel angry about it like that, but I do have this inner dialogue where I'm like, why am I doing this? And how does this impact my kids? I mean, they were like, Mm -hmm. what did you do to your face? What happened to your face, mom? And then to be like, you know, to have to find the words to explain to them why I did that, it just makes you a bit more mindful and thoughtful about the choices that you're making. Now, to be honest, I'm going to go do it again because the results were amazing and my skin felt glowy and soft and all of these things, but it's complicated. These things are, these things are complicated. They're nuanced. And where I've really landed myself is that this is a conversation that we have on the podcast like this, I love having conversations about this. It's how Raw Beauty Shocks initially started, right? But at the end of the day, every woman needs to do what's right for her. So if somebody's listening to this and they feel angry about it, but like, it is the patriarchy and da 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 and I don't want to do it, then please don't do it. It's not right for you. And feel grounded and solid in your choice. And if you want to go have a little touch up and you want to spend your paycheck on makeup at Sephora then go girl, you do what you're going to do. But I think one thing that you said is, is beautiful that you could have it, but you don't need it. So when I did my initial raw beauty talks photo shoot, which was no makeup, no photo editing and no filters. And I am the person who's starting this movement. I went to my shoot and I had tinted moisturizer on. I couldn't do it. I couldn't go completely barefaced. I, it was too much for me. And so, and then I felt so guilty and so much shame around that, but I, at this point, I wear makeup for podcasts, for my coaching calls. But when I'm just around the neighborhood, I don't have makeup on. And I couldn't care less. All summer, we're at our cabin. Couldn't care less. No makeup on. Feel great. Feel confident in myself. So I think that's a really beautiful place to be where it is a choice rather than feeling like I have to do this in order to be enough. It's about your energy. It's about your energy about the thing. Really. It's like, if you're depending on it to feel happy about yourself, then you should not be doing it. If you're a little bit more indifferent about it and 
you're just doing it because you can, you can afford it, you want to, you don't really need a severe reason, then I don't think it's that big of an issue. And I've self-reflected on a lot over the past decade of my personal development journey. And there have definitely been times where I was doing things to feel a certain way. And now I can confidently say in the past few years, if I ever do anything to alter my appearance, it comes from a place of indifference and I'd be happy either way. So I think that's my solution. That's what, at least what I believe right now. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're also living in a world that a lot of people do certain things. And and if there's no like heavy attachment to it, it shouldn't be a problem. There's always ways to overdo anything and um, just having, keeping tabs on yourself. I think is a good takeaway from this. Yes, totally. And one thing I will say is that is top of mind is, and I don't know the answer to this as well, is that it is important to remember that there are little ones watching and comparing. And for somebody like you, Mimi, who's beautiful and you have this platform and you have so many women who just look up to you and aspire to be you, even though that's not what you're asking for, but they ultimately they do, that we do have, I feel, a responsibility to be somewhat transparent. I mean, some people will say, no, it's not your job. But for me, what feels aligned, I shouldn't say for you, but for me, what feels aligned is to be transparent about some of these choices that I'm making so that little ones who are watching and my sisters who are watching and people who I don't even know in the world understand. I always note when I'm using a filter, I always talk on the podcast about what I've done or tried, which is minimal. I just do Botox between my eyes on the 11 because a lot of people do ultimately feel like they're not enough. And it's not our responsibility at all to make sure that they feel enough. And just posting that you're using a filter is not going to you know, change that for them. But it does help. Having some transparency mm-hmm. does help. So I want to commend you for openly talking about things like having had an eating disorder in the past and topping things up here and there, trying things here and there. You don't have to do that, but it makes you so much more than a quote unquote model. It makes you a role model in my mind. And we need more role models right now than ever before. Thanks, Erin. And honestly, I don't promote any of that kind of stuff because it's just not what my platform, it's not what I talk about, but I definitely don't lie about it. So, you know, I, I agree with you, the transparency thing, like the fact that Bella Hadid tells the world that she's never had any surgery. It's like, come on, you know? So it's like, people just think, oh, she's naturally lucky. It's like, no, a lot of money was involved in this. And who knows if she's happy? Because a lot of people that are addicted to getting things done, you know, again, I'm not talking about her necessarily, but, and I know a lot of people actually in the industry and I've met a lot of famous people and my experience has been for a lot of these people that they actually aren't that happy. And when you have an obsession with looks, or especially if your career is determined by how you look and it's all looks focused, gosh, I would never want to be a model or an actress because the pressure is just unbelievable. I'm so much happier being behind the scenes a bit more. So, but I want to move on, uh, Erin, because there's so much more I want to talk to you about before the episode. And The two main topics that I'd love to uh, finish off with, I guess, is number one, intuitive eating. And I guess let's talk about this next because we're on on the vein of body image and all that jazz. And then lastly, anxiety. So we can save that for last, but I know you have a lot to say about that. Starting with intuitive eating, 
this is a passion of yours to talk about. It's also something that I practice and it's changed my life. That conversation we were having earlier about how food used to take up like 80% plus of our thoughts every day. This has solved that. And I literally don't think about food unless I'm like, oh, I want to go eat now. (laughs) And it's amazing. And it's the biggest relief. So tell me everything you know about intuitive eating, how people can actually do it and what Mm -hmm. that actually looks like. Mm -hmm. So intuitive eating is a form of eating that was labeled, created by two registered dietitians. But it's really important to remember that it's not another diet. It ultimately is all about coming back to the body's hunger and fullness levels, pushing back on diet culture a bit and the messaging that we receive from that. And then I believe that a big component of being able to eat intuitively is doing the inner work, the somatic work where we go into the body and we identify pain points, old wounds, areas where the body is holding on to tension or anxiety and really healing that piece as well. So that's not technically under the intuitive eating umbrella, but it's an important part of the work that I do. So with intuitive eating, as we talked about, when when you've struggled with disordered eating or eating disorders, Actually, I'll pause there. When you have an eating disorder, it is really important to work with a healthcare professional who is trained in eating disorders. It's a bit of a different beast. So if you're somebody who's actively got an eating disorder right now, a lot of these principles and things that I'm talking about will feel very hard and difficult to apply. So make sure that you are working with your doctor or a therapist, you can always reach out to me and I can put you in contact with somebody. So if you're somebody who's dieted forever or you feel like you will go on a plan, but then you fall off or that you are on track with your eating and then everything spirals, this is uh, intuitive eating is perfect for you. So the first thing when it comes to intuitive eating is really rebuilding the connection with your body and learning to listen to those hunger and fullness levels again. And because there's been so much disconnection from them, most likely for a long period of time, it takes a minute to rebuild that awareness as to when you're actually hungry and when it is that you're full. And so one of the things that we start with when I'm teaching intuitive eating is something called the golden guidelines. And these are five guidelines that help build back trust between you and your body. It helps your body know that it is going to be fed consistently and a variety of micro and macronutrients. But the guidelines are, they're broad. They're not really specific and granular and they're guidelines. So we're not going to do them perfectly every day because we're not trying to create another framework where you can get stuck in it. So the first guideline is to eat something within an hour of waking up, within an hour, an hour and a half. I had a client yesterday who's like, but I go for a walk first thing in the morning. And I'm like, okay, go for your walk. And then we're going to have breakfast afterwards. So having something to eat within an hour of waking up, eating something every two to three hours. So generally the day looks like breakfast, snack, lunch, snack, dinner, and then a snack if you want in the evening. At your snacks, we're going to aim for two or more food groups. And at your meals, we're going to aim for three or more food groups. The food groups are carbohydrates, proteins, fats, veggies, and fruit is in one category, and then dairy. So if there are, you know, if you don't eat dairy, that's fine. Focus on the other groups. The fifth one is to give yourself permission to eat. 
to give yourself permission to eat. I would say that the first guideline and the last guideline are the most difficult for people. So a lot of people are into intermittent fasting right now or eating less during the day and they start their their day off with coffee, but it puts the body in a place where your blood sugar levels are really lowering. And as our blood sugar levels lower, the body receives messages that say we need to find food. We need we need food like immediately in order for our system to work. And so when we reduce the amount that we're eating during the day, it really sets us up to overeat or binge later in the day. So for anybody who's finding themselves in a cycle of overeating or binging, the number one piece of advice that I would have is to eat more during the morning. Now, people try this on their own, and the feedback is, well, I just continue to eat just as much in the evening. And so then they stop, and they go back to the process of not eating very much at all in the morning. But here's the thing. it's The process is twofold. So when we're eat in, learning to eat intuitively, we start by supporting the physical body, So we start by feeding ourselves consistently, ensuring we're getting a variety of food, and then giving ourselves permission to eat. So we're removing some of this the restrictive tendencies. The second part, though, is to start to um, work within the body and do this somatic healing where we're identifying emotions or other drivers that are causing us to eat. So one of the questions that I love for people to ask in phase two is, what am I hungry for that can't be solved in the fridge? What am I hungry for that can't be solved in the kitchen or the box of crackers? And so when we pause for just a moment and we ask ourselves these questions, people start to identify things like, I'm hungry for connection. I'm hungry for stress relief. I'm hungry for creativity. You know, I've always had this dream of starting my own business. I'm hungry for creative expression. I'm hungry for personal power. I'm hungry for, I mean, the list goes on and on of things that we are craving in our life, these unmet needs that feel difficult to achieve or where there's perhaps blocks or limitations, self-limitations that we've put up. And so instead, we've learned to turn to food to give us a little dopamine hit in the moment rather than really addressing these unmet needs. And so we got to go there. We've got to start to identify what else and in what other areas of your life are you hungry for something. And the more that you fuel and fill up that part of your life, the less need you have for food or to overindulge in food because that cracker or that bag of chips is never going to solve your hunger for connection. So now we've gone into the body and we've started, I mean, we're just talking, there's obviously so many parts and components of this, but people can try working on the golden guidelines, those five golden guidelines, and then asking themselves, what am I hungry for that can't be solved in the kitchen? And starting to identify those underlying unmet needs. Another thing that we're going to start working on, so once we've been using those golden guidelines for a couple of weeks, you may start to notice those hunger and fullness signals starting to come back. And so then we can start using those as a tool to support us in knowing when to eat 
and when to stop eating. So people will say, well, I like, I know when hunger is when I'm feeling really hungry, but what are some of the more subtle cues of hunger? So hunger is a physical symptom in the same way that you experience having to go pee. So physical, it's a physical symptom. Like our hands start to get cold. Our stomach feels hollow or it starts to grumble a little bit. We start to lose focus at work. That's one of my biggest indicators because I can get hyper fixated on what I'm doing and I can ignore those little whispers of hunger pretty easily. So As soon as I start to find like I'm having a hard time concentrating or my words aren't coming out as eloquently or I'm having a difficult time writing this podcast episode, it's a sign to me that my body's needing more energy. It's a sign to me that it's time to start figuring out when I'm going to get food or going to get some food. So all of these physical signs are telling you that your body needs fuel. And the best thing that you can do to start to build self-trust and greater wellness is to listen to your body. We receive a lot of messages that tell us, don't listen to your body, just drink another coffee, work later, like push harder. But where has that gotten us? You really got to ask yourself, is that working for me? Is that motivating me? Does that have me feeling my absolute best? And I can guarantee it doesn't. It doesn't work. All amazing starting points, Erin. Thank you so much for just presenting that in such an actionable way. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners here are going to begin trying this because you've really laid it out, which is incredible. Let's move on to the final topic before getting into our quick fire questions, navigating anxiety. You have shared publicly about your generalized anxiety disorder High level, what does this mean and how do you diagnose it? I have always had an underlying anxiety. And for the most part, I believed in the past at least that it really served me. So in a school system, it served me because I didn't feel like I could stop moving. I couldn't sit and watch a TV show. So I was always doing, doing, doing. And over time though, when you have that low level anxiety, the body starts to to give out. The body starts to malfunction. The nervous system isn't designed to be in fight flight for years on end. And so after having my daughter, Brooklyn, about eight months after I was back at work and, you know, had these two little babes, James and Brooklyn, James is very busy and was very busy when he was little as well. We were renovating our place in Whistler, and I started to have these thoughts of like, I was not meant to be a mom. This is not where I'm supposed to be. And I dreamed about being a mom forever. It's on my vision board. Family is a huge section of it. And these thoughts were scary to me. They felt really real, same as the eating disorder thoughts, and uh, sent me into panic. Now, for anybody who's had a panic attack ever, you know that after you have one, you feel completely drained. And what happened to me is that I started having panic attacks like once a day or twice a day, and I was just becoming so depleted. The anxiety was so bad that I lost my appetite. I mean, I was not in a good place. And these thoughts just kept coming up and kept driving more anxiety. 
I ended up working with a therapist again, Dr. Michelle Campbellis, who is absolutely incredible and who supported me through what at the time was diagnosed as postpartum anxiety. And uh, it was a long journey because when I had the eating disorder, I pushed pause on my life and went into this program and worked on myself and was very supported. When you are a mom with a job and two kids, my husband was amazing. Like he was incredible, but you don't push pause on life anymore. You are healing and figuring all of this out amidst everything that is going on. So it really has taken me a lot of time, a couple of years now, to get to the point where my anxiety feels very manageable. I would say that a lot of days I don't experience it at all. So I felt after that first postpartum blip better, but still had anxiety, but now I was functional. Like I could get out of bed again. The panic attacks weren't happening. And then we went on a trip to Maui. A bunch of stuff was happening before. Work was busy. We had a transition with childcare, which I found very stressful. I was having a lot of mom guilt about working and leaving the kids with somebody else. And so for whatever reason, going on this trip, it triggered another episode. And we were there for two weeks. For one of the weeks, I was in bed in a dark room the entire time. I couldn't, like the panic was so consistent. The thoughts in my head were so loud. We increased my dose of medication. So I'm on an SSRI, which I still take right now. I stopped drinking completely. So for two years, I didn't have a single drink. I started meditating every single day. I was going to therapy. I was seeing a naturopath. I was doing acupuncture. I mean, I, Mimi, was all in on my healing during this stage. And I kept thinking to myself, how lucky am I to have the ability to do this? Because there are so many women who do not have the support network that I have and who do not have the means to be like taking care of themselves in the way that I was. And so, through all of this, you know, there was a real shedding of a lot of beliefs that I was car- was carrying, a lot of family patterns that obviously were no longer serving me that I had to let go of during this time. It was hard. I still am emotional talking about it because this one is more raw. You know, the eating stuff, it was like 20 years ago. This is, I'm just coming out of this now. I am still processing so much and still learning how to be a different version of myself so that I don't go back to that place. It's hard to leave behind old versions of ourselves. You know, Aaron, who was always busy, always hustling 24-7, who uh, believes that security and safety and abundance comes from working her ass off, I've got to let that Aaron go. And that feels hard and it feels scary because I have a belief system that says you got to do all those things in order to be okay. But at the same time, it wasn't working for me and it's not what I want for my kids. So it's a lot of repatterning beliefs. I've done ketamine therapy, which I found incredibly supportive. I don't know if I would recommend it yet because I've heard of people having negative experiences, but for me, it was really, really impactful. And just, there were a lot of things that I could understand cognitively but I didn't feel like I could embody it yet. And that's what ketamine therapy did for me is it really helped me embody these new beliefs and let go of beliefs that were no longer serving me at a whole nother level. 
So now I meditate. I really drink very rarely. I mean, maybe once a month I'll have like a glass of wine or two glasses of wine. And I'm so happy with that. Like it feels so right for right now. I'm leaving behind the chaos. I'm making different choices in work. Even right now, for example, I'm going through my fall schedule. We have our Raw Beauty Retreat coming up in Greece at the end of September. I was supposed to have three launches. A big part of me is like, you need to do these launches in order to reach your financial goals that you have, which are written out in the wall. But my whole body is telling me it's too much. Like I feel anxiety thinking about it. And so I've made the choice. We're cutting two out of the three launches because I'm I'm going to choose my peace versus the chaos. And I'm going to believe that by focusing on that one launch and really just doing the one that my heart is is excited about, that things will work out and that that everything will land where it should land. So it's still a work in progress. The anxiety piece though, it's similar to the eating disorder piece. When you're healing anxiety, you start with the body. You start with the physical body and and helping support your nervous system in feeling safe. Oftentimes we think we have to think ourselves out of anxiety and you can't actually do that. So you we have our autonomic nervous system, which is broken into two parts. We have the parasympathetic nervous system and we have the sympathetic nervous system. So sympathetic is our fight, flight, freeze response. And the parasympathetic is our rest, digest. Now, ideally we want to be in rest, digest most of the time. And then when we're in a a stressful state or uh, we need to jump out of the way of a moving car, the sympathetic nervous system fight, flight turns on. But for so many of us, fight flight is on like all the time. And so what we have to do is teach the body how to exist more in rest, digest. And so things like reducing stimulants, coffee, alcohol, a lot of sugar uh, helps to do that. Meditating helps to do that. Weighted blankets help to do that. Uh, Not overscheduling yourself. Making There's something called VU breathing. So you breathe low and slow and make a deep vu sound, which this seems so silly, but it stimulates the vagus nerve. So it sounds like this. Vu. And you just kind of let that go and do several of those. There's so much vibration happening in my chest when I do that. And it stimulates the vagus nerve, which signals to the brain and the the mind-body system that you are safe. Cold water does the same thing. So we see so many people cold plunging these days. It's stimulating the vagus nerve. Um, But even just running your hands under cold water. So Dr. Michelle Campbell is who I worked with, and I put together a toolkit called the Anxiety Toolkit that has 21 evidence-based ways that we can support the nervous system in moving back to a space of rest, digest. Now we support the physical body. And as we support the physical body, we can start to work on the more cognitive side of things and the beliefs that we carry, the systems that we are in that have us in a space where this nervous system is constantly fired up. And so uh, it's sort of the same approach as with the eating disorder where we start with the body and then we can look at the beliefs and we can go a little bit deeper from there. And always, always, always as you're doing this work, 
really working on building that voice of kindness and compassion along the way, because I think that's a secret weapon that not enough people know about, which is really holding yourself with so much love and care in the process. Erin, I love interviewing you because you answer all the questions that I have and (laughs) before I even ask them, like I can tell when I'm doing an interview with a fellow podcaster, because you know exactly what I'm like, what the audience wants to know. So thank you for going into such depth for, you know, the audience when it comes to these actionable tips for anxiety. And Mm -hmm. you're right when you say it's a similar recovery journey to the eating disorder uh, whole time in your life, because this, it's a very similar thing. It's like, control wanting it's all control based right so i know we're up on time i want to quickly jump into the quick fire questions with you Mm. what is your instant mood booster moving my body going out for a walk with a podcast and listening to somebody like you dr joe dispenza amy porterfield jenna kuchar instant mood booster love it amazing your go-to resource for mental wellness advice? My clients and my own healing network, which sounds so strange, but whenever I get to work with my clients, I learn so much as well. And it just strengthens my own understanding and knowledge of the mind-body system. So that's my greatest inspiration. Who in your life challenges you to be better? The first person that came to mind was my husband. And I think what's so interesting about that is that we ha- we share the same values, but we're also very different. Like Scott's training for an Ironman right now. I have zero desire to do an Ironman. I'm like, send me for a 5K run and I'm happy. I do not need to run a marathon and then swim four kilometers and then ride 180 kilometers or whatever it is that they do. But w- He's also very, so Scott's like spreadsheets and very particular and very neat. And I'm a lot more creative and in my feminine and a big feeler and all of these things. And so we complement one another, but because of that, I'm always learning so much from him. Like simple things like task completion. He's like, you leave a room and it's like a bomb went off. Let's just actually close the cupboard doors and actually put the things into the dishwasher and task complete. So it's like, there's this beautiful invitation in our differences to really expand into an area that doesn't come naturally to me. We have a very similar relationship dynamic. (laughs) I don't know. Like, I feel like it's the best dynamic because I can see everything that I bring to the table and like the softness that I bring to the family and the lightheartedness. And I'm always dancing around and stuff. But at the same time, like, I think I might just spin off into outer space and and I also, like this could be a whole nother podcast conversation, was terrible with my finances and felt like it was overwhelming and, and just like, I felt so much stress around it. So I just didn't really pay attention to them and ended up 60K in debt a few years ago. Whereas Scott is like the opposite of that. And so it's such a beautiful balance because, um, I, yeah, I really, I just, I learned so much from him and I think we beautiful. make a great pair. So my final question for you, Erin, 
as someone who is big on manifesting and envisioning your best self, who is Aaron 10 years from now? Who is your future self? What is the vision? If everything went in your favor, where would you be in 10 years? Mm. So I think about this often, actually, and I do mental rehearsals in the shower where I actually envision this version of myself. And it really isn't that different from where I am now. I just see somebody who's even more embodied in being calm and trust about how everything will land. I know that I will be doing a bit of travel at that point to speak on stages and share my message, which ultimately is that we have the, we have way more capacity than we could have ever imagined within ourselves. And when we cut through the limitations um, that are holding us back, really the possibilities are endless. And so um, I imagine having two books. I want to do a coffee table book with going back to the roots of Raw Beauty Co. with all images of different women, no makeup, no photo editing, no filters, and um, these conversations. And then I do want to do a book um, sharing some more of these tools that I've learned over the days. So I see those being there. I can't wait to have those moments with my kids where they're moving into their own apartments and we go over for dinner and just getting to watch them grow up. I think we'll live in California at some point, but not forever for, for a couple of years. So there's lots of things that I imagine and envision, but it feels really good to say that I feel like myself right now. I feel like I'm embodying a lot of the things in a far greater way than I could have ever imagined that I would have dreamed of or imagined for myself. And so it's just expanding upon that. That is the most beautiful answer. Erin, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I very much so enjoyed this conversation and I know everyone listening will as well or has as well. Where can everyone find you on your podcast, on social media? Tell everyone where they can check you out. Thank you, Mimi. You're such a wonderful host and had such beautiful questions and you're always so vulnerable yourself. So you really create a beautiful space for these conversations. Thank you. Thank you. Easiest place to find me is on Instagram at rawbeautytalks with an S at the end or rawbeauty.co. I'm also going to send Mimi a couple of free handouts for you. So one of them are my top 10 anxiety busting tools. And then I'm also going to send you one called 55 ways to feel better in your body. And these are just simple, like my favorite, simple little ways that you can get back on the same team with your body. Uh, you can grab both of those for free. Amazing. Well, we'll add those both to the show notes. Thank you so much, Erin. Have a wonderful rest of your evening. Thank you. Bye everyone. Did you know if you leave a rating or review on this podcast, the algorithm is going to target you with more content that you enjoy. So take advantage of the beautiful algorithm. And please, if you enjoyed this episode, leave us a rating or review on our podcast. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next time.